What types of jokes are allowed during quarantine? Inside jokes. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability, episode 86. I'm your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Well, hello, hello, happy Independence Day observance, because this is launching on Monday. Independence Day was yesterday on Sunday. I hope everybody had a wonderful time celebrating with friends and family. And if you have a destructive dog like mine, I hope you're able to dope them up in time before the fireworks (laughs) and that your house is still standing in one piece. (laughs) As you can hear, I think I finally have my original voice back. What you also may be hearing is the fact that I have a gigantic canker sore on the side of my tongue. So every time I talk, it rubs right on the edge of my molars. (laughs) So you might hear me slur a couple of words. I'm going to do my best to pronounce them correctly while talking out of the side of my mouth, trying to avoid rubbing on the canker sore. I do want to catch you up with what's been going on. We got back from a long weekend in St. Louis. We did that over the tail end of June. So it was myself, my husband, and our kids came along and we joined two other families. All of us are friends from high school. That's how we all got together. And it was really pretty cool. We stayed at an Airbnb. It was a big house that had six bedrooms. So adults got their own rooms, kids got their own rooms, and it was wonderful. Sustainability-wise, it was a vacation where we got to leave and explore new areas, but it was close enough that we could drive there a short distance. It was about a five-hour drive, which wasn't bad. And we shared the lodging, and we took turns cooking breakfast and dinners, and we ate all the leftovers for lunches. And we really only went out to eat one time, and that was at a local creamery. Well, local to St. Louis. But either way, we are supporting local. This creamery is famous for some very unique and tasty milkshakes. And the milkshakes even came in a handled glass mason jar too. And yes, I kept the jar because that milkshake was $14. So (laughs) I for sure was keeping that jar. (laughs) No, they did make it so you could take the jar with you as a souvenir. But they also had a return area in case you didn't want to keep the jar. You could return it so they could clean it and reuse it and gift it away as a souvenir for the next person to buy a milkshake. But to me, that was still really cool, very sustainable. On the first day, we went to the park and the pool and splash pad, which was perfect because it was 90 degrees outside. And on the second day, we went to the city museum. If you have never been and you have kids, this is a must on your bucket list. (laughs) It is a six-story old warehouse that took all of the city's, St. Louis's junk, and turned it into an enormous playground. There's old planes and fire trucks, industrial equipment. There's old exhibits of everything, including a wall made out of muffin tins. And there was artwork on the wall. There's a big gigantic gecko design. And it was made out of old watch bands. Everything inside of that museum was spared from the landfill. Not to mention, it wasn't just go and look at the plane and the fire truck. You got to crawl through tunnels to go up in through them. They're all different levels. And then there were slides coming out of them. There's probably over 50 slides within that place. It was just nonstop madness and so much fun. I wish every city had a city museum because it was the coolest. (laughs) You could go climb into everything and twist and turn. There were tunnels, slides. There was even a seven-story slide from the roof. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't recommend that slide. (laughs) It was a very long slide and the slide was very steep and fast. I was in shorts because it was in 90 degrees. And by the time I got to the bottom, I had the biggest wedgie of my entire life. (laughs) But other than that, it was a truly unique and adventure-filled experience. And on the very last day of our adventure, we went to the zoo because it was 90 degrees and we had two little kids and somehow we thought it would be a good idea. I think mostly we we fell in love with the price. The St. Louis Zoo is free, so that's why we went. (laughs) Uh, Going forward, if we ever do that again, we're going to pick an air-conditioned venture, even if it costs money, on a 90-degree day with two little kids. This was a really nice, fun, and deserved getaway, especially after the last year and a half of the pandemic, (laughs) which I know is coming to an end. Thank goodness we are getting there. 
And so for today's episode, I thought it would be fitting to bring in Jonathan Soroff as our guest. He is a reporter for Boston Magazine, and he wrote an article called It Ain't Easy Being Green During a Pandemic. And I read his article, and it was so relatable, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, and it kind of works our way through the pandemic. And that is why I had him on as a guest, so we could discuss the challenges and the successes of trying to be as green as possible during the pandemic. And now that the pandemic is coming to an end, our hopes for the new normal and the new future going forward. So please listen in on my interview with Jonathan Soroff. We all went through the pandemic for over a year now and are coming towards the end. And I wanted to take the time to look back over the past year and analyze the challenges of going green during the COVID pandemic and how difficult it was to maintain or even begin a more sustainable lifestyle in a time of masks, restrictions on reusables and recycling, and increased demand for delivery and shopping services. The guest for this episode is Jonathan Soroff, who is a staff writer at Boston Magazine. He wrote an article discussing his struggles and observations of going green during a pandemic, and I wanted him on the show to share his experiences. Say hello, Jonathan. Hey there. Thanks for having me. All right. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? You already did, but uh, for the past 25 years, I've been an entertainment reporter, travel writer for city magazines in Boston. And um, obviously the pandemic was a challenging time to do all of those things. So it's been an interesting year. Can you go ahead and describe your lifestyle prior to the pandemic? So we kind of have a, a base to start from. Well, first of all, I have never had regular commuter hours, so I've never been able to rely on public transportation. Um, I wrote a social column for a magazine for 25 years, and that required me to go out at night. So I was constantly driving my car, often just myself. Uh, as a travel writer, I had a really horrible carbon footprint because I was constantly on planes flying here and there. Um, and then in my private life, you know, I do drive um, a hybrid electric gas um, car. So, you know, I try to be conscious, you know, I try to recycle, I try to, but, you know, obviously the pandemic threw a monkey wrench into that for everybody who thought that they were doing a good job of, you know, kind of being sustainable. Yeah, I agree. The pandemic was, it was definitely different for everyone, male, female, young, elderly, tech savvy people, East Coast, West Coast, I'm here in the Midwest. So I kind of wanted to discuss like what your lifestyle was prior and now, and most of the listeners already know what mine was like. <laughs> and now we can go ahead and recap and discuss some of your personal changes that you noticed when the pandemic first hit, like right within the first month or two of the pandemic. Initially, I didn't notice things that much. I started noticing things a couple of months into the pandemic when I was doing a lot of walking last spring and seeing masks that had fallen out of people's pockets or wipes or whatever. Uh, I just saw a real increase in terms of the amount of trash on the streets. And normally I'm someone who, you know, when I go to the beach, I, I love to like, collect shells and go beach combing but I always whatever beach I'm on I make one pass to do that and one pass to kind of collect plastic garbage whatever and I would normally have picked up a lot of the stuff that I saw on the ground but during the pandemic I was thinking I'm not touching anything that you know came from somebody else's pocket or whatever. Same here I did the same thing. And then in terms of more sort of long-term or macro things definitely ordering a lot on Amazon and Amazon's packaging is just unconscionable. Getting these five foot by five foot boxes that contain a pair of earbuds is just, and, and all the, all the plastic. I mean, it's just, that was really appalling to me. I've never been someone who used uh, grocery delivery services because I like to be able to pick out my own produce and my own stuff. I live very close to a supermarket. I can even walk there. I found myself buying more, wasting less because I was composting, I was getting creative. There was a lot of time to be in the kitchen. I'd notice, oh, there's a head of cauliflower and a half a thing of cheese and there's more of that in the other drawers. I'll make a cauliflower cheddar soup or whatever. I 
got a lot more creative and started saving things, made stock out of vegetable ends that I had collected from cooking at home, cooked at home a lot more than I ever have. I live with my husband um, outside of Boston and we tended to be out at night a lot. And once the pandemic hit, there was obviously none of that for a while and then a lot less of it, you know, even now. And I'll share with you my experience during the first couple of months of the pandemic that I was forced to work from home for two weeks. Now, at the time, I was actually nine and a half months pregnant. So I only had to work from home for two weeks and then I had a baby and then I was on maternity leave. And it was weird because it was like I was on maternity leave along with the rest of the world. We all took maternity leave at the same time. <laughs> but as a as a woman, what I noticed is that I didn't have to wear makeup. So I was saving there. I was using less of that. I washed less clothes because I wasn't putting on all my beautiful professional outfits and then coming home and changing into play outfits because I also have a toddler. <laughs> so I was going through half the clothes because I didn't have to, I could honestly wear my pajamas if I wanted to, or at least change my shirt or something. And like I said, I did have the newborn, but I was very fortunate that we already do cloth diapers because there was a big diaper shortage and a wipe shortage and a toilet paper shortage. And we have oh, the yes. cloth. Yes. And, and we are lucky that we do the cloth version of all that. And we had a bidet sprayer for the bathroom. We use that for the, to spray the poo out of the diapers, but it's a bidet sprayer. So we could use that too. So we didn't have to worry about the toilet paper. So some of that we got to escape. And I was very fortunate that we had practiced the eco lifestyle prior to that. Yeah, that's great. I do agree that I had to do grocery pickup for the first time. Cause I was absolutely terrified because I had a newborn. I was like, Oh, I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, mean, I don't want my baby to get sick. Like that would be terrible. So I was doing the grocery pickup and hated it. I can relate to this a little bit because I have a niece who had a baby in September and she was saying exactly the same things that you are about, you know, just the terror of being in a pandemic when you have a newborn and, and, you know, they haven't even gotten their basic shots yet and you don't want to expose them to anything. Yeah, exactly. And I did notice at the grocery store, that the self-serve areas were gone, like the bulk sections were gone. We used to have beautiful salad bar areas. All those immediately closed down. So that made it really hard to be sustainable. And I remember all of the wipes, Lysol wipes, everything else was gone. But I used the Norwex wipes, which are the microfiber antibacterial cloths. So we were lucky that we had those. So we were, again, we were fortunate in that matter. But just like you, I was home more often. And so I got to do a lot of cooking from scratch and making stocks and stuff and exploring little bits of a, a failed attempt at gardening <laughs> and all of that jazz. <laughs> but hey, I wanted to ask you because you had talked about the Amazon packages piling up. What I found this little trick, someone shared it on the Starting Sustainability Facebook group. You can go into Amazon and you request, you go through customer service and request to talk to a representative and you have to hit a few buttons. I don't remember it all exactly right now, but you can get to that chat and you, you can request, I want my packaging to be as sustainable and plastic free as much as possible. So they can't do it every single time because sometimes they'll have third-party vendors who just use Amazon as a platform, but ship from there. But the ones that Am is coming from the Amazon warehouse, they can do that for you. And it's really cool. I, and I did do that. Um, oh, okay. I found that, and also with takeout restaurants, same thing. You know, if I was ordering sushi, which is something that I don't cook at home because I don't know how, but I can't live without it. And so I would say, please no chopsticks, please no soy sauce, please no napkins, you know, all that plastic, like we don't need it. And most of the time they still ended up, it was just a, I think people were in this automatic mode of providing everything as quickly as possible and not really giving it a lot of thought or not paying attention to specific requests. Yeah, I agree. So we covered your point of view and my point of view, but society in general, they also had a handful of struggles at the beginning of the pandemic and like takeout, a lot of restaurants had to adapt real quick because they were losing business. <laughs> so they had to come up with curbside service and they wanted to make sure that they got everything that the customer needed. So even though you would request, don't give me these items, they'd still put them in the bag. I wonder if that's just out of habit or being trained to do that. Sometimes the boss is like, this is what has to be done. No exceptions. I don't know. I guess it's up to each individual restaurant. Yeah, it's probably a combination of a bunch of things. It probably is like, this is the way we do it. But also 
I think they were fulfilling such volume that they had to just get it out of the door in a, a timely fashion. So it was, you know, we already had the napkins and the soy sauce and the little plastic things in the, in the bag and we just put in the food. I think there was a lot of waste generated by needing to sort of assembly line something that hadn't been before. True. Yes, that's a good point. But outside of the restaurants, the rest of society during that first couple months of the pandemic spring break, I think the pandemic really hit right around spring break. So flights were getting canceled, vacations were getting canceled, and everybody had to do virtual learning for school. So my kids are too little for school. I don't know if you experienced that in in your world, if you had to do suddenly working from home and trying to balance virtual e-learning. Uh, well, I've always essentially worked from home because I'm a writer, uh, but no, I don't have any children and I didn't have to do that. Um, I do have a sister-in-law with two small kids. Um, my brother and sister-in-law have two teenagers. So I did hear a lot of the woes of doing that. And my heart goes out to anybody who had to suddenly become a teacher in addition to whatever else they do for a living. Yeah, my siblings were in that position where they had to suddenly work from home and do e-learning for their kids, <laughs> which was a, a total nightmare. <laughs> and I don't even know if that's covering it completely. <laughs> well, I think this generation is going to appreciate teachers more than a lot of other, you know, a lot of people who came before us. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> they sure do. Let's talk about three to six months into the pandemic. So that would have been around June to September 2020. What did you observe that you wanted to share from that time frame? So I was really lucky because we moved up to a really beautiful place on the coast of Massachusetts with a friend who she lives alone. And so it was the three of us. We created a quarantine. And what was funny about that time was she can burn water. She doesn't know how to cook anything. And so we were doing all the cooking, which she never realized you could actually eat dinner at home five to seven nights a week because she had never done that before. And then we got into the, if you take green onions and put them on the windowsill, or if you take a head of celery or, you know, the bulb of, from the celery and put that on the windowsill, it will, so we had all this little, you know, the, the, a little farming thing going and we were growing things outside and we, we were joking that we were, you know, people of the land, but that was like, you know, sort of the feeling of it, like, trying to figure out how to do these things with the least impact and the least, I mean, you know, part of it came from a place of fear, um, you know, the least number of trips to the grocery store, the better. Yeah, that is true. And there's also a lot of rumors of food scarcity and food shortages, meat shortages, because all the factories had shut down. We didn't really experience that at all. I mean, I think I did, I did notice that prices increased on a lot of things, but you know, whether that was just a supermarket taking advantage of the situation or actual, you know, necessity, I don't know. Yeah, we didn't experience food shortage over here, but I did observe a lot of, I say farmers, but farmers slash gardeners sharing. Like in our, in our neighborhood, there was a little share table where you could put tomatoes and cucumbers and then take, like if you had an overabundance of tomatoes, but somebody else had a whole bunch of onions, you could put the extras on the table and take whatever your garden didn't yield or something like that. And we had the same thing at work, which we hadn't had that at work before. So that's, I was like, I heard those rumors I didn't experience, but maybe we didn't experience it because so many people were out gardening and they were able to kind of help fulfill their own food needs as well at that time. Yeah, I mean, that time of year in New England is when in New England, not a lot grows between September and, and June, but that sort of beginning of summer when there was fresh produce, uh, it was definitely, and I noticed, uh, so I, I am on um, the board of a conservation and preservation organization in Massachusetts called the Trustees. And we have a bunch of properties that are farms. And across the board, uh, the number of people visiting the farm stands went up hugely during that time because people, first of all, were sort of rediscovering nature. They weren't uh, on a schedule where they could only go to the supermarket on a Sunday afternoon. Um, they had the luxury of going to the farmer's market, but also I think they wanted to avoid big supermarkets and big crowds. So they were opting to do that instead. 
That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. I went to the farmer's market a handful of times, but that was only because, so I, I said I was on maternity leave, but my husband is an essential worker. So his work revved up to where he was doing 60, 80 hours every week. So for me to go to the farmer's market with two little kids in tow was not a fun experience. Yeah, that so I did it sparingly. <laughs> Yeah, well, so also, you know, it's it's very much I don't uh, New England. This the growing season is so short that if you care at all about the freshness of your food, you those those precious months, you really do take advantage of it. But it definitely was increased by the pandemic. There's no question. That was one of the positives of the pandemic. Were there some negatives, some bad habits that you observed during that, during the second part of the pandemic? Again, I'll go back to what I said before about the amount of trash that I saw on the street. And I'm sure I was guilty as well. In the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was wearing gloves and that sort of lasted, you know, if they touched anything, they were wearing, you know, um, nitrile gloves. Um, and you'd see gloves all over. Um, there was actually a very funny, uh, around that time, there was a really funny cartoon in the New Yorker, I think it was, where it was a mouse entering um, like the hole. And the caption was, there were two, there were two other mice in, in, their, in their little hole and they were lying in what looked like hammocks and they were face masks. And the caption was like, it's the craziest thing, free hammocks all over the street. <laughs> so that that was one of the things that first made me want to write the piece that I think is what made you want to talk to me about this, um, which was, you know, how the pandemic changed people's habits, both for the better and for the worse. And, and I think ultimately, you know, there were pros, there were cons, but I do feel like people, you know, it was a time where people hit pause for the first time, you know, in their adult life, maybe, and started spending more time outdoors, had the time to start a garden. You said your garden failed, but, you know, at least you tried. I think the fact that people became more attuned to where their food came from or thought about it maybe more than they did before is ultimately a good thing. Yes, very much so. You know, there's something else that I wanted to bring up was that during the late summer, like June to September, by then my maternity leave was done and I returned to work. And at the beginning of the pandemic, cloth masks were everywhere because they couldn't get surgical masks. And where I work is a, a factory setting. And so they had shifted one of their lines to making masks. And now it was mandatory. Every employee had to wear a disposable masks. And we were given two disposable masks inside of a Ziploc bag every single morning. So that way, every four hours, you could change your mask and cloth masks were banned. So I was really heartbroken about that sustainably wise, but I understand sanitation wise why they were doing it. And I work in a cafeteria setting and I also encountered aluminum can shortage. So we had a really hard time getting drinks. We're providing free lunches to all the workers of the factory, but we couldn't, we had a really hard time getting beverages for them because of the aluminum can shortage. I don't really understand wow. why there was an aluminum can shortage, but, <laughs> but also at the same time, my husband, he is quite a hunter. And so he was getting very frustrated that there was no ammo. Like as soon as the pandemic hit, all the ammo was built up and all the sales had been put on hold and he couldn't get ammo anywhere. And so he was extremely frustrated <laughs> about that as well. I kind of forgot about those That's items. That's when it's time to change from being a hunter to a fisherman. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. And that's interesting. I mean, all these things. So I don't even know if those masks are recyclable. One of the things that I learned a lot about was single stream recycling and how I live in a community that is considers itself very enlightened. Our, our school system is one of the best in the country. I would say that if you asked your average resident of the town that I live in, they would say, oh, I'm very ecologically aware. And we have curbside recycling, but it's single source recycling. And so much of what people, you know, they call it wish recycling. Yeah. Um, 
so much of what people are putting into those green big cans, um, you know, garbage can cans, it's things that can't be recycled. And I learned a lot about that and it totally bums me out. And I wish the system was more efficient, but I also learned, you know, what things can and cannot go into that big green canister. And that, you know, I, I think that was like a really worthwhile thing to understand uh, because I used to just chuck everything in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's been talked about a few times on this podcast where we do wish recycling and I'm guilty of it too. I'm like, just, just take my subliminal message that this should be a recycled item. You, the recycling yeah. center needs to figure this out. <laughs> well, you, you asked and I didn't actually think about it, but um, so clutter drives my husband crazy. One of the things that you can be sure gets recycled if you don't do it curbside is certain bottles, cans, and glass bottles, you know, plastic bottles, glass bottles, and cans. And if you take them to a recycling center and you get money back for doing it, and it's really fun to feed the bottles into the machine and listen to the glass smash and all, like it's, you know, it's kind of like playing a carnival game, then it actually gets recycled. Whereas you dump that in your recycling bin and put it out on the curb. There's no guarantee that that stuff is ever going to be recycled. And also when it comes to recycling, I mean, the recycling is like the third R, <laughs> reuse, repurpose, recycle. Like I wish there was more to reuse. I did repurpose a lot of things um, or as many things as made sense. Getting people to start thinking in those terms that's frequently a necessity of economics. I do want to point out that there were parts in the pandemic where they stopped recycling services because they're afraid of contamination. And then the, a lot of grocery stores banned reusable bags because they're afraid of contamination. I don't know if you remember in that piece that I wrote, I learned long ago that plastic bags didn't go in with everything else to be recycled. But if I brought them to the supermarket, there was a special place, a special bin, and you could put them in there and they would get recycled, or at least that's the promise. That was suddenly gone. And I found myself having waited for 45 minutes to get in the door of the supermarket because it was, you know, there was a line. And there I am with two big bags of plastic bags that I want to recycle, but there was no place to put them. So I kind of hid them in a place in my supermarket saying, I'll get them on my way out and just take them to the garbage depot in my town. And they were gone by the time I got back. So that was like four or five months worth of plastic bags that just ended up Lord knows where. But, you know, I, met, I had the best of intentions. There just wasn't a way to do it. I know you're like, my intentions were good. And that was a lot of effort collecting all of those and keeping them for five months. And now it's just gone. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, right now in the back hallway of my apartment, there are three big bags of cans and bottles that I need to take to the store to get recycled. And as maddening as it is to have that taking up space back there, it's just the only way you can guarantee that it's not going to end up in a landfill. Yeah. So some things that have happened since, like currently the grocery store beside me the, they've changed the rule. You can use reusable bags, but the customer has to bag them. The cashier will not bag the items in the reusable bag. The customer has to do it, which, and I say, that's fine. And what other people do is just, once the cashier rings up the items, let's we'll put them in the cart. And they're like, I'll just push the cart out to my car. And then right there, I'll have boxes and bags and I'll throw all the items in there. And then you take the cart and put it back at the cart return. So those are alternative items in case your grocery store, any of the listeners grocery store won't still won't allow any reusable bags. Then those are different ways that you can get around it. Some loopholes. That's a very cool solution. And I didn't know that because I would have been doing that all that time. Well, now, you know, <laughs> you can do it going forward. That's it all counts. <laughs> That's great. You know, some other things that we have not talked about society in general during those summer months, people were still continuing to work from home because we were all told it was only going to be for two weeks. <laughs> so at that point in time, it had been like three to six months, but home projects went out the wazoo. Everybody was doing home projects. And that's why now there's a lumber shortage and the lumber that you can get is like four times the price. 
Well, it's actually the lumber shortage is a bunch of factors, but yes, the lumber shortage also has to do with a blight that was hitting most of the trees in Canada that we, that in the United States, at least we use for lumber, but the price absolutely went up because of all the home improvement projects that people were doing. But I hope that a lot of those home improvement projects were things like building a container garden that actually do add to the sustainability. Yeah, like the people were remodeling houses, but they're also doing the gardening. Chicken coops became a real big ordeal. Exactly. Yes, I was <laughs> just going to mention chicken coops. But it was really cool to observe like people, people were traveling less, but think of all of the carbon emissions that were spared because of the amount of reduction in airline and air travel. Oh, for me, that was that was a huge one because as I said, I'm a travel writer and in the first six weeks of 2020, I was in, and I, so I live in outside of Boston. I went from Boston to Morocco, all over Morocco, came back to Boston, flew to Japan, within Japan, took a couple of flights because I was on both, um, I was in Tokyo and then I was on Hokkaido, um, came back from Japan and flew to Boston to Ireland, drove all over Ireland, and then flew back to Boston and then we were in lockdown. So those three things alone, I mean, uh, unfortunately it's a necessary evil of my job and I try to be conscious and the airlines are, are at least paying lip service to doing things to improve the situation. But the amount that I flew before the pandemic was kind of insane. And, you know, to go from North America to Africa, Asia and Europe all within six weeks is a lot. And I didn't do that for the next nine months. In fact, I haven't been on a plane since then. Which um, I'm sure is a change of pace, but also a nice bit of relief as well. It is, absolutely. And that's one of the perks of the pandemic. There was a little video clip so long ago, so I cannot give the source now because I just don't remember. It was a long time ago, but they were showing pictures. It was on the news and they were showing video footage and pictures of because of the pandemic that's been going on for a few months that water in Venice was clear and you could see like fish and jellyfish going through it. Like you've never been able to see that before. Like the air is cleaner. The air is cleaner out in LA where they have this big smog issue and all those little things are adding up because of all the less air travel. The wildfires definitely put the kibosh on the air being cleaner in, in LA, but yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> but I mean, some of what you're saying three or four years ago, I was doing a story about um, a part of Colombia uh, that's on the Venezuelan border called Santa Marta. And there's a very, very beautiful national park there called Tirona that is, it's owned by the government of Colombia, but it's administered by the indigenous people. I think, I forget the name of the indigenous people, but in any case, they insist that for six weeks of the year, and this is going back for as long as this has been a national park, I believe, that for six weeks of the year, no one can come into the national park because the plants and the animals need to recover from having people there. And that I think happened all over the world. And then there's the balance sheet of, is it a good thing that so many people discovered our national parks in the last year? Well, a lot of people complained that they were terribly overcrowded and that resources were really strained. But at the same time, did it make them appreciate the natural world and value it more? Hopefully, it's going to be a while before we see on balance what all of this shakes out into. But my fingers are crossed that I never thought I would see a fish swimming in the Grand Canal in Venice. And I hope someday I get to see that because the motorboat problem in Venice has been not just a problem, not for the ecology, but also for the city itself. And being like archaeology, architecture person, I'd like to see another generation be able to see Venice, despite the flooding problems, despite all of that. And if the water is clear, that'll be a really, really great thing. I'm hoping that the new normal, there's pros and cons of the new normal. So I want to have a discussion about that as well. So my hope is that we will continue to have a reduction in travel because now the new normal is, hey, we can do a lot of things on Zoom and other online versions. You don't always have to travel to go to a meeting. You can do it Zoom and it's completely acceptable. So that's like a positive that I'm hoping for. 
Absolutely. And if I can just interject. So um, my husband works for a very large corporation and his primary clients are in New York. So he used to spend two to three days of the business week in either Manhattan or Stanford, Connecticut. And he hasn't done that at all in over a year. And one of the things he said very early on is that he really hoped that his clients would realize after the pandemic was over that it's not necessary for him to be in person for these silly meetings that are just is easily accomplished over the phone or via Zoom or whatever. Yeah, and I'm hoping a lot of companies will recognize the amount of money that they're saving because they don't have to keep buying all these plane tickets too. And I I think that's also true when it comes to office space. I mean, I feel sorry for anybody who's in the commercial real estate business and the residential real estate business is booming, but commercial real estate in most city centers in America are really hurting because people don't really need to go to an office. There aren't that many. There are so many industries where an office setting was just an extraneous part of it. And it was just a cultural, like a knee jerk reaction. Oh, you got to go to the office. You don't actually need to go to the office. Yeah. I remember when I, when I took this job three years ago, I was told, oh yeah, you have the ability to work from home. And I was like, great. That's wonderful. Cause I was pregnant with my first kid at the time. So I was like, that's going to be great. And then I get in there and like, well, you have the ability, but it's really just for when you're sick. (laughs) we still want you at the office nine to five. (laughs) That's terrible. Oh, okay. (laughs) So everything I do is on this laptop that can totally come home with me when I'm sick or have a doctor's appointment. Like (laughs) then, then I get to work from home, but it's a rarity. So now it's becoming a more acceptable form. I'm, I'm back in the office now, but I'm also doing the food service. I'm feeding everybody. So my, my job has changed and shifted as well in that aspect, but that's okay because I still have a job. So I'm happy about that. So I'll be thankful. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, just to think about the, so many people have been put out of work by the past year and whether that on balance is good ecologically speaking or bad ecolo- or s- sustainability wise, I don't know. And that's another thing that it's going to take a while to see the shakeout from. Yeah. And some more, unfortunately, negative things that we did not talk about that are I think going to be a hard habit to break because it was quite a luxury was all of the online ordering and the meal delivering. And now people who had never done that before, like I barely ordered stuff online and I never did meal deliveries or grocery pickup, but it was, it was nice. It was extremely convenient. So, but as an eco-conscious person, I'm, I limited it as much as possible. Now I'm comfortable going back to the grocery store and going to other stores, but a lot of other people have discovered this world of (laughs) delivery and online ordering, and they're absolutely loving it, which is not so great for the environment. Do you have any tips or recommendations for that? Yeah, I just really urge people to think before, you know, I, I hope that that kind of mindless consumerism is not a part of the new normal. And I kind of feel like given the constraints that people were put under under the last year, and I don't know anybody who didn't notice that all of a sudden they were breaking down a lot more boxes at the end of each week. I hope that people will think twice before they order something or order just like one thing instead of trying to figure out everything they need and having it put in one order. I just hope people are more thoughtful about doing those things. Fingers crossed. So now that it is basically near the end of the pandemic, there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel. How is your lifestyle now? So it's interesting you ask. I'm actually getting onto a plane for the first time in over a year on Saturday. We we can, especially now that the weather is getting better here because, you know, the middle of the winter is not charming in New England. Eating outdoors in restaurants is a possibility. I, in the summertime, become much more of like a hunter-gatherer person. I live in the summer in a rural place where there are farms. And, you know, I love to go like to three or four different farms to get locally grown, sustainable vegetables, fruit, meats, fish, whatever. And that's one of the wonderful things about New England. It's a little bit of timing. So that will definitely be upped a notch. 
there were things that I needed during the pandemic that I wasn't, it was a, it was a risk assessment. Do I want to risk going to the hardware store to get this one thing? Now I don't care. The hardware store I walk to, it's around the corner and I, I love hardware stores. That is no longer a threat to me. And I'm not going to go onto Amazon and one click because I need a washer for something in the bathroom uh, overnight. Those things have changed, but then the traveling thing is going to pick up again. And it's something that I have to be mindful about and try to mitigate in some ways. Hopefully it'll be a more efficient form of air travel, you know, because before you had so many excessive flights and layovers, I'm like, maybe now it will just be more efficient and only as needed instead of a luxury. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think people are so anxious to get back to what they think of as normal that I think they're kind of going to go overboard. Like, they can't wait to go to Disney World. They cannot wait to go out to dinner in a crowded restaurant. I think there's going to be initially a big surge of that. And hopefully at some point, people will put on the brakes and say, this is not necessary. Yeah. And from my point of view, uh, as of January, I'm back at work full time. So the previous nine months, I was reduced income, reduced hours, because that was how we got to keep our jobs, which is just fine. I'm thankful. <laughs> but now I'm back full time. And I'm, I'm personally struggling quite a bit to get a balance between work and personal life and the podcast as well, because before I had a lot more free time. <laughs> so I'm having troubles with that. And, and because I had the extra free time, I had an extra two, three hours in the afternoon, I was able to do a lot of scratch cooking, like I made yogurt from scratch and homemade bread and homemade spaghetti sauce. And now it's a rarity if I'm I feel guilty that I'm not able to do it. And I liked it. It tasted a whole lot better, but I can do it when I can, but I can't do it like I did before. And I do miss it. Well, I hope that a lot of people, because I mean, you couldn't get sourdough starter. Like, I mean, people were baking bread like crazy during the pandemic. I hope that a lot of those scratch cooking things stay with a lot of people, because I think as a society, we've become so divorced from the source of our food. The amount of greenhouse emissions from rotting food in landfills is appalling. And those numbers have gone down sharply in the past year. I'm really hopeful that people will still want to bake sourdough bread and they'll still want to make pasta from scratch and they'll still want to do those things that you're talking about because it does taste better. It's better for you. You have a feeling of accomplishment and you know there's a level of creativity and there's something that makes you feel good about achieving a short-term creative goal. And hopefully those things will stick around with people. I hope so too. And now more than ever, we can go back to doing weekend adventures and trips with the family because we are deprived of that for a whole year. So now I feel <laughs> I feel like we have to go do something every single weekend because we got to make up for it because we were deprived for so long. But I do want to encourage everybody that while you're going out and doing those fun adventures, support local because I know we're doing that. We're supporting local more than ever because so many small businesses are hurting. If, if if they're still in existence, let's put it that way, because a lot around us have closed up shop, which is very unfortunate. So just support the ones that are still there because they are on their last leg. Absolutely. Jonathan, where is a good spot for the listeners to find your article so they can read every word from it and get all of the stuff that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, so it's Boston Magazine, which is uh, bostonmagazine.com. And the title of your article? I don't even remember. <laughs> it ain't easy being green during a pandemic. So I didn't write that title. My editor did. All I know is that I, the tagline or whatever was, has COVID-19 turned me into an eco-terrorist and my fingers are crossed that it didn't. Oh gosh. <laughs> okay. So your article is, it ain't easy being green during a pandemic. And that's at bostonmagazine.com. And if listeners have some more questions for you, where can they contact you? They can contact me at jonathansoroff at me.com. And let me just preface that or follow it by saying I'm by no means an expert. I had to learn all this stuff while I was researching it, while I was, uh, you know, I was learning as I went along, which the good news is so can everybody else. 
the bad news is if you have a particularly high-minded question, I might not be able or probably won't be able to answer it. But you may be able to direct them to the right area. Yes, sure. I'm really good at doing research. I'm a journalist. Perfect. There you go. Then that's, that's wonderful. That will still help very much. That's the end of the interview. But before you go, would you be willing to play a little game with me? Sure. So today we're recording on May 4th, also known as Star Wars Day. Did you yes. know today is Star Wars Day? May the 4th be with you. That's right. <laughs> Are you a Star Wars fan? I saw the original movie in the movie theater probably five times the summer it came out. And then once they were into like the ninth or 10th sequel, I kind of lost interest. I shouldn't say that. I still am very much a fan. I just haven't been able to keep up with them. And when I get invited, because I do get invited to film screenings and to have the bragging rights that you saw a Star Wars movie before anybody else has been able to see it goes a really long way with nieces and nephews who are super into the franchise. <laughs> I come from a long line of engineers <laughs> so, and I'm a registered dietitian because I'm the oddball of the family, but my older siblings, I, 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 well, I guess I'm saying it's an engineering thing, but you do not have to be an engineer to be obsessed with Star Wars, but they are. And I have barely seen the movies. <laughs> So the knowledge I have is minimal and it's mostly from family members watching the movies. And I just happened to like walk through the room or I dated guys who were into it, but I still never really sat down and watched all the movies all the way through. So, so these questions are hopefully not that hard for you. So I, I have three trivia questions for you. Okay, go for it. All right. Number one, yep. how many Star Wars movies are there? Oh, that is tough. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to say 13. Ooh, just a tad too high. There are 12, but that is 12, excellent I, because I was like, I think there's like six or seven. <laughs> so I didn't even realize oh, that there were 12 of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't realize this. There are nine movies in the main like episodic Skywalker saga. And then there are two standalone installments and then there's one tv film so the grand right so that's what movies. i was trying to yeah i was trying to factor all that stuff all the all the spin-off ones into it i'm gonna give you that one because that was <laughs> that was still really impressive okay so number two name the star wars show on disney plus featuring an adorable baby yoda oh 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 i don't know is it called Baby Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Mandalorian. Oh, you know what? I, I should have known that. Um, yeah, it's The Mandalorian. Can we rewind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, yes, The Mandalorian, of course. <laughs> oh, wow. Good job. <laughs> you got you. it. I've never seen it because I refuse to pay money for Disney Plus when I'm also paying money for a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I have all these dvds of kids movies that were passed down to me from my siblings because i'm the youngest of eight so i have a million and one nieces and nephews so i'm like i've got all these disney movies i'm not paying for disney plus but all my co-workers and friends have talked all about the mandalorian and how can you miss the adorable baby yoda memes all over facebook well, and social I, media that i was about to say that's the way i know it that's the only way i really know it okay so this is the last question uh-huh I'm very confident that you got this. Can you name five characters from Star Wars? Oh, okay. Um, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, R2-D2, C-3PO. Uh, how many is that? You're at six. How many do I need? Five. Oh. Uh, You're golden. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I can keep going. Um, yeah. <laughs> You did fantastic. You, you. nailed well, it. <laughs> so I'm going to turn the tables on you. So you mentioned today is the 4th of May. May the 4th be with you. Uh-huh. Tomorrow is Cinco de Mayo. Do you know what Cinco de Mayo celebrates in Mexico? Okay, it is not Mexico Independence Day. It no, is not. the victory of a war? Yes, exactly. I can't tell you which war though. Puebla. Yes, yes. Okay. It was, uh, it was um, over Napoleon. Um, but yeah, the, the Battle of Puebla. Okay. So that was good. You got it. All right. Hey, 
You're the first one to turn it around on me. Very impressive. <laughs> well, that was fun. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day and talking with me and all the listeners of Starting Sustainability and doing a wonderful, beautiful recap of all of the negative and a lot of the positive effects of COVID pandemic. And hopefully we get to continue to see the positive effects lasting on for eons. Yeah. And thanks so much for having me on. It was fun. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. Thank you again, Jonathan, for sharing your COVID experience with us. It ain't easy being green during a pandemic. That's the title of his article, and it can be found at bostonmagazine.com. It is time now for the weekly challenge. And last week, the challenge was to fix things before they break instead of throwing them away. And I hope everybody was able to do that or at least incorporate it into their life some way, shape or form. I still need to go visit a farmer's market. That's from two weeks ago, but I was really busy. (laughs) I was actually out of town. (laughs) So that is my goal this week and I'm for sure going to do it. Go to the farmer's market. Now for next week, your challenge is, I draw it out, set yourself a challenge that you'll only buy secondhand clothes for a whole month. Scour local thrift stores and vintage clothing apps and unsubscribe to fast fashion newsletters so you can avoid temptation. That is a really good challenge and completely doable. I think you can avoid buying brand new for an entire month and trying to find other resources like going secondhand. It's definitely doable. Personally, I have gone an entire year without buying brand new clothes at all, and that was mostly because I was trying to get out of debt. (laughs) But I will take the sustainability credit as well. It's a dual count. If you are new to starting sustainability, then I think one month is a great time frame to try and go without buying brand new clothes. If you have been around for a while and need a bigger challenge, then make it longer. Make it six months. Make it an entire year. Make it your new way of life where you only buy brand new if it's the last option because you can't get it anywhere else. Start off by going and asking friends and family if they have clothes that you can borrow doing a swap party and then work your way into a thrift store, secondhand shop and also do it for your family. I'm As the mom, as the wife, I do a lot of the family shopping so I do it for everybody, not just myself. You can do this. Make this your new way of life if you're up for the challenge. But again, if you're just starting, one month is a really great goal. I know you can do it. Next week on the show, I inspired someone to start their own podcast. Liana Kent from Sydney, Australia, started her own podcast to help others learn how to shop sustainably. Listen in next week to hear her story. Until then, continue to stay sustainable, and I will talk to you all again next week. Bye.